think hospitality is a great start, even if you don't want to stay in hospitality. I think that it builds character and it's like transferable all those skills into any industry. Today on Dirty Linen, we're talking to Nyoka Bundle. She is a Gunditjmara and Ewan culinary entrepreneur. And along with her head chef and husband, Vincent Manning, they've opened Power Cafe and Bar at Hamer Hall at the Arts Centre in Melbourne. Uh, that's the follow-up business to their Indigenous fusion catering company, Power, and the very excellent Tucker Gin. Nyoka, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you for having me. Really good to have you on the show and I'm grateful to you for taking the time in the middle of a restaurant opening, which is never easy or smooth. Uh, how are you going? Uh, we're going really uh, well. Um, we've had a couple of little hiccups, which is um, you know to be expected. So that's why in the first couple of weeks, we sort of did like a soft launch without um, officially announcing it. So we could make sure we had like any little hiccups sort of, um, you know, fixed and then we officially opened. And then, of course, there was still a couple of other little things. But we're so lucky because we actually found like a really great team of people. So they really worked with us to like, you know, make everything as smooth as possible. So, um, yeah, I'm thankful I found them. Yeah, oh, that's so good and so lucky and, and not what you always hear these days when it comes to employment in hospitality. But tell us about the project, the Power Project, both with the catering company and with this new venue. Yeah, so in... Um in lockdown, actually, we were approached to do like sort of a pop-up, um, like a summer pop-up when COVID was going to finish. Um, and the arts and our approach just were like, hey, they've got this space. Um, we've like, they heard about our catering company um, through the grapevine and they, yeah, they were like, do you want to, are you interested in doing this? And I was like, oh yeah, maybe it might be a good idea. And then I think after like some, a few uh, discussions, then I think we got locked down again. So they were like, oh, well, let, let's make it like more of a permanent thing so it's not just like a waste of time you know just for the summer um and then yeah we just like basically talked the whole time in COVID and like all these plans and how we were going to do it and what sort of um you know like offering that we would have um and I think it was just yeah it just went from there and like now that like we're actually open it's just been like sort of like working with family like the arts and has been so good and the partnership that we've created together um is just like not only beneficial for me as a person, but I think it's just great for like the Aboriginal community in itself just to be represented like along South Bank in the Arts Centre. Um, and so it's just a really nice growth for our catering company to go into something new and have a new offering, um, but based around that um the same offering from our catering company, which is sort of like infusing um, native foods in like Western or European cooking techniques. Yeah, well, it totally makes sense for you to have a presence there and it is really exciting. It, you know, the Arts Centre is such a, an iconic building, but, of course, you know, for tens of thousands of years, that site has been important for um, Aboriginal people. So, I mean, yeah, it's it feels very fitting and right to be walking across the bridge, across the river, and there's power right there, very prominent. And I suppose, you know, when you think about Mabu Mabu at Federation Square and um, the Indigenous gallery there at Federation Square, it, you know, it really does make sense that it's more of an Indigenous hub. Yeah, yeah. I'm so proud of it as well because, like, um, just even being, like, a female person, like, the food industry, like, 
and being Aboriginal as well, I think it's just a really good um, thing to show like, you know, the next generation and people, I guess, even internationals and just even the local Melbourne people, like who we are and what we do and that like, you know, we've also got some really cool things going on. And I think it's just, even if it's just like a normal cafe offering coffee, like it's still an, an achievement in itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. It's an amazing, it's amazing to open any small business. There's always going to be challenges. Um, and when you've got, yeah, this other really strong thread and I guess purpose behind what you do, then it's uh, even, yeah, even more meaningful. But tell us, Nyoka, like, how do you come to be doing this? Tell us a bit about uh, your background, your journey through food and, and why you've chosen to take this path. Yeah, so I grew up in East Gippsland and then we moved to Warrnambool when I was um, in teenage years or whatever. And I guess I've just always worked in hospitality. And I think like back then when you're working, it like, you know, everything was just like it wasn't, there wasn't all those rules and everything. Like you got like, you know, like if you had a hard chef above you, you just did what you had to do to get through. And, you know, you learnt like the really hard way, I think. And I think that that's what builds you. And hospitality is so good because it just builds character and, um, you know, I loved working like that old school way. Um, and I think that that's where my passion came from, just like learning from others. And I'm not like a, a professional trained chef or anything. I'm just like, I just like loved home cooking. And I used to cook for my grandpa when I was younger. And I used all my grandma's old recipes and sort of just played around with that. And they were like handwritten ones on like little pieces of paper. So it was really nice. Um doing that for him and I think that's where like you know the passion comes from you know like once you see people happy eating the food it's it's really easy to I don't know I guess continue and sort of like um make new recipes and find out things and and because my husband's a chef as well um that just like went hand in hand and we, we, we lived in Geelong and we just decided, yep, we're going to open this catering company. And we literally borrowed like $600 from my mom and dad and we just started it. We got this really small commercial kitchen in Brunswick and we were driving from Geelong to Brunswick every day and doing it. And then, yeah, we just got bigger. We got a bigger commercial kitchen. We moved to West Footscray um, and we just got the word out there. And I just really tried my hardest to... Um, I guess, you know, to show up to all those events and do really, really well. And word of mouth was our biggest thing. Like once people got, you know, wind of it, it just flowed on from there. And then we've been going ever since. And obviously like, you know, without COVID um, at the, and like during 2019, we were like, we couldn't even keep up. We were just so busy. And then, yeah, from then on, we're just, um, you know, with the partnership with the Arts Centre. Um, and then obviously during COVID as well, we launched Takajin as well because I just couldn't sit still. I, I like, you know, I had to work. So we decided to do that. Yeah. Well, so much going on. When was it that you actually launched Power Nioka? Uh, in 2019 at the start, uh, pretty much like, yeah, February. Oh, and then geared it right up. It's amazing. It's been, I mean, you know, it, it's grown so quickly, even with the interruptions of um, of the pandemic. Um, did you, like, how did you conceive of putting, you know, with this Indigenous fusion approach? Like, had you um, always been cooking with some of those ingredients or was it something that you sort of conceptualised and then developed the recipes? Yeah, I think, I mean, I didn't always cook with them. I, I sort of always cook like, you know, like everyday, like home meals, like, you know, um, but 
I think that just because like my husband's technique is really sort of refined and he does like those like canapes and a la carte, really nice fine dining stuff. I think that we saw the opportunity to combine those two things and not that it hadn't already been done, but just in in a way that people would actually want to eat the food because, you know, like you can't like serve like exactly like traditional food because it's not like, um, you know, it wouldn't be perceived so well. So combining those two, I thought like in a way that people would want to try, want to eat, it's not so like in your face, like, you know, like dried fish or kangaroo, like that type of thing. If you can make it into something that is like, a nice like we we did a couple of dishes like that was um kangaroo bourguignon and stuff like that and that just like you know that makes sense you know what I mean like those flavor profiles that technique it's like yeah so we and then we made them into like little pies that sort of thing and that sort of testing from then on it just like it it you know like it's sort of like endless you know what I mean like as long as you get those flavor profiles right Love it. So tell us about some of the canapes. What are some of the other dishes that you that you know people love when you present them? Um, I think just like even uh, like even just quiche, like little mini quiches that incorporate catering um, in the canapes. We've done like um, rabbit spring rolls, even though that rabbit's not native, but it's just like it's a thing that my grandpa used to eat. And I think that, you know, people, older people from that generation, like relate to meals like that. Do you know what I mean? Like old school rabbit stew or whatever. Um and then we've got kangaroo pies. Um, we've got like a, um, I'm trying to think now. Uh, we do like beetroot crepes with these really nice like um, thyme integrated into it, native thyme. Um, you know, just to try and keep it simple. So it's that nice little uh, sort of like has that little twist. But in the cafe, we've actually got like a, um, a lot of pastries with incorporated into it. Like we've got a peach, um, a native peach croissant. Um, and we've been experimenting with um, a pan of chocolate with strawberry gum and that works really, really well and they just look so nice so it's easier to, um, you know, I guess because food's visual, a visual thing as well. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, what do you, what sort of journey do you hope people will go on when they try some of these dishes? Like is it, you know, uh, yeah, what do you want them to think and what do you want them to do next? I think like it's about, well, for me, because like when my son like if we're cooking with my son or whatever, I think it's inspiring that next generation not to lose like cooking, I think. And, and like to see what we've got here, um, to see how easy it can be. I mean, because it's native food, it's, 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 um, you can get the powders, um, easily, um, more so than like fresh stuff. And it's really easy to incorporate in that, um, sense, like for home cooks. And I think like inspiring people to use native ingredients is really important because, um, I think that not only for like environmental issues, like if we could get those back, um, you know, into commercial spaces, it would benefit like everybody nutritionally, environmentally. Um, yeah, it's just better all around basically. I mean, one of the biggest issues with Indigenous foods is is where the, where the money goes. Um, is it a focus of yours to source from other Aboriginal-owned businesses? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, like, one of the issues in, like, all the whole industry. Like, even with Takajin, I mean, that's, like, a billion-dollar industry. Same with native food. It's huge, and it's only just growing, like, and rapidly. And one of the issues is, is that Aboriginal people aren't at the forefront of that. And I think that making sure you have that ethical supply chain right down to like, you know, where you're getting it from is really, really important. 
and that's why like we are always above that I've got like really good connections um and I think also behind the scenes like people think that they're might not be things going on behind the scenes but there are like lots of little projects um that are up and coming that are trying to be at that forefront especially like provide um victorian natives as well because a lot of them um can come from up north or queensland so it's really good that there's all these little projects especially where i come from um in gunditjmara and ewan they've got like loads of um you know things getting off the ground and i think they're going to be huge so it's going to be exciting. Yeah, that's so interesting because, yeah, I mean, I do it, – it definitely does cross my mind when it, it, Australia – it's just such a such a huge country and, of course, you know, has so many Aboriginal nations within it with so many different foodways and environments. Um, sometimes it feels like there is a kind of flattening out of this whole idea of Indigenous ingredients and the regionality of those foods and the seasonality isn't always expressed. Um is that something that you think about as well? Yeah. And I think like also like being um, like transparent as well with everyone is like, yeah, the seasons are really hard. They're not, it's not always available. Um, you know, a lot of the things you have to get in frozen and keep it fresh that way. Um, and also the pricing, it's like down the supply chain, you want to make sure that you're like actually contributing to something and not just taking um you know, like not giving them the best, the growers and the foragers and the wild harvesters, they're not giving them the best price that they could actually get. So it's like, it's, it's a big process. And I think that, I don't know, I guess in some way the government maybe needs to um, put in place some things that ensure that everyone's getting a fair deal, especially like the Aboriginal people that are growing it and picking it and all that type of thing, which I think, you know, most of our suppliers, um, like they don't work with people unless that happens. So it's, you know, it's it's just making sure that those businesses are up to date with all their sort of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. And from from those those parts of East Gippsland, um, what sort of products are you are you excited about that are from that area? So in Goodichmara, I know that they have, um, there's Tower Hill um, and they have, um, they're growing like native plants and herbs um, and then from Ewan, um, there's Bruce Pascoe's um, project, um, Black Duck Foods, and they're actually producing native grain, um, which is, like, so beneficial for everyone. Um, that should be, like, a staple in everyone's household. Um, it's, like, obviously better than flour. Um, so, yeah, if they can get – it's all just to do with, like, funding and actually getting it off the ground. So I think that, um, you know, once they're able to do that, then, yeah, it's going to be so exciting. Yeah, brilliant. And I'd love to learn more about the process of developing the gin. Like, you know, you have this idea, okay, I'm going to do a gin. Like, what do you do next? Yeah, so initially I was like, oh, no, I'd love to do a wine. Like, and then we looked into that and I was like, okay, that's really hard. Um, And then (laughs) I was like, oh, wow, look at all this gin with native ingredients in it. And there's only like one that's Aboriginal owned, maybe one or two. And I just thought this is definitely it because obviously I love gin. And it was like in the summer and we were like testing, seeing which, you know, but I also wanted to find one that hadn't been done before and like that was sort of unique in that sense because like it's obviously oversaturated with a native products like the gin market in Australia. Um, and then, 
yeah, we came up with a few ideas and they come back to me after they did a few um, tests and they were like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's too crazy. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, like, obviously going crazy with stuff that, like, people would not even know about trying to, like, you know, see what we could do with it. And then, yeah, we nailed down the lemon scented gum leaf and the native lemongrass and that was just, like, a really nice combination and I just thought it worked so well together Um I reckon it, I, I, I can't remember which lockdown it was, Nyoka, but I remember Takajin really, really helped me through one of them. And um, I think it is so nicely balanced because I guess I, I remember, you know, I had just a sip of it just with a little bit of ice, but then gin is something I guess you're often going to want to mix. And it's, it wor- really works well with mixes too. Cause I think, I think you're right. Sometimes those are uh, very heavily flavored gins can be, just fight with tonic or whatever it is. But I think, yeah, you're, the balance in Takajin is um, like it, the flavours are very much there, but the balance is there as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I'm not like a big fan of like pink gin or anything like that. And I just thought that, you know, you don't want to overpower it or anything. So any like little citrus element that's added to it just works really well or even just on ice. So that's what we wanted to create. And then obviously we got um, – I wanted to, the brand to be really unique as well. So I talked to mum and I was like, oh, hey, mum, we're going to do this thing. Is this okay? And obviously I had to get permission to use um, the language name. And she was like, yeah, yeah, this is a great idea. And um, and then she, I was like, would well, you mind doing like some artwork? I don't know, like see whatever you think. And then she come back with those, uh, the scientific representations of the flavonoids in the gin. And I was like, oh, my God, this is actually perfect because I didn't know what I wanted, but, like, as soon as I seen it, um, yeah, I was like, that's it. And then I sent it to a graphic designer, um, Keisha Leon. She's an Aboriginal woman, and she made it into the digital artwork and it just came together and I was like, it's just like, yeah, I love it. Just describe it for people who um, haven't seen it. So it's just the artwork is a digital representation um, of the flavonoids in the gin, so... Um, it's the photochemical um, representation, but in a cultural way. Um, and yeah, mum just made it into that. And I just thought it was, yeah, they're sort of like little hectagon shapes, I think they're called. Yeah, they're like little atoms, but they've got these line drawings. And yeah, it's a really, it's a really resonant and um, yeah, instantly makes you sort of want to know more and, and wonder yeah, I just love, I love it. It's, um, yeah, really, really, really cool um, graphic um, to go with a great product. And tell us about your mum. She's an artist, right? Yeah, so she is an artist, um, Vicky Cousins. Um, she has, I guess, installations all over Melbourne. She's pretty well known. Um, and, yeah, she's, I guess that's where, like, that work ethic comes from um, and, like, you know, like being that boss person in charge of, like, a business and that because she's always been like that. And, yeah, so she um, – and she's done, like, possum skin cloaks. That's what she's uh, well known for as well. And she does, like, language um, reclamation with RMIT, so. And what does Taka actually mean? Taka means taste in the Gunditjmara language. Right. And then what does Pawa mean? And Pawa means to cook as well in the Gunditjmara language. Yeah, right. So I wanted to keep it all like, you know, that's why I named the cafe like that because I wanted to keep it sort of on brand as well with our catering company. 
Yeah. And I understand that you also focus on employment opportunities for Aboriginal people. Can can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, at the moment, we, we don't have any in the cafe at the moment. Um, we're putting out like a, I've got like radio. Um, we're just going to reach out to community. I think like everybody that I know are already in like amazing jobs, like they're accountants, lawyers. Um, so yeah, we're looking for people now. Um, and we what the thing is, as I explained before, is that we, I think hospitality is a great start, even if you don't want to stay in hospitality. I think that it builds character and it's like transferable all those skills into any industry. So working with Aboriginal people that want to go into yeah anything and be anyone, I think like it's a great start um, to work with, you know, like a company like ours or, you know, like even just mentoring, I think is great and just being like a positive role model as well. Yeah, 100%. It's so interesting, you know, how you were saying before about, you know, the school of hard knocks of hospitality where, you you know, you um, perhaps aren't treated with ultimate kindness, but that you felt that was really character forming. I mean, it's such a conundrum, don't you reckon? Because like, how do you, how do we go forward with that? Because at the, on the one hand, you want people to um, be paid for every hour they worked and to be treated with kindness. But at the same time, sometimes, um, yeah, people do respond in a positive way to, um, to, you know, some hard truths. Yeah. I like thinking back now, like I was terrified of like one of my chefs, she was this Russian lady, but she was so good. She taught me like how to be like, if you know, cause you didn't want to be not on time for like anything. You were always ahead and you would not be able to leave until everything was perfect. Like if you even had one grain of like sand or a seed in the sink you could not leave and I was like no that's actually how I want my business to be run because that is like a really good work ethic and she wasn't that scary like in the end but she just was like really um you know that's how she wanted her kitchen to be run and you just had to do it like that and that was it and I think that that's just you know it's needed more like I think you know like just that not fear but like I guess respect yeah. Well, I mean, as a leader now yourself, like how do you, um, I guess, yeah, how do you be that boss that, that you want to be that, that people also respond to? Yeah, I guess like you can be friendly, but not too friendly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you want to be friends with everyone, but then you have to draw that line where you make sure that everybody knows that like this is what they're here to do. Um, but I think what the thing is as well, like if someone's passionate about their role, then they will give you, um, that respect and, and put in that effort. And especially like if they're learning new things on the job or they respect you as a person, I think that that's, uh, you know, a good way to start as well. I think into something else and something that I think comes through really clearly in you is having a clear vision of or a clear purpose, like a vision of what the business is actually for. Um, I mean, do you think that's part of it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and I think like when I talk to people or like I had a staff meeting yesterday and I try to, when I'm talking to people as well, I try to get them as passionate as I am. So like I'm like all about like building the morale of the team and like, you know, talking to them like, hey, we're going to do this this week and like sort of be like more enthusiastic instead of being like, you know, this is this, blah, blah, blah. Like you didn't mop the floor properly, you know, that type of thing. I'm like, hey, guys, let's do this. This really good this week. You know that. <laughs> so, Yeah, motivator. <laughs> Great. Um, so, Nyaka, uh, obviously you've got it all going on at the moment, but have you got um, a, a, pl- a sort of medium to long-term vision of the future and where you want to take things? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't, I mean, I like, yeah, I'm just really happy where we are at the moment. So just to see where the cafe goes, I guess, where it can lead us and the opportunities, um, I guess. And with Takajin, we've had, I would really like to see if that could go maybe further and get some partnership deals or international maybe. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like I'm sort of happy now where we are. Um, but my like long, long term goal would be to like retire in Italy, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll, let's get a villa together. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, well, I'm really grateful to you for speaking to us today and all the best with, um, yeah, all the many strands to your business. Uh, yeah, super inspiring to hear from you about what you're up to and, and what's, what's down the road. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. It's been great to chat. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.